0: And so they're, you know, it's like the produce section where, where you just go and it's like everything squishy, everything's old, everything. like, that's not the kind of produce we want. We want uh, something that's clean, ripe, ready, sweet. Um, and so he's saying, everything like lame, sick, blind, this is what you have to offer me. This is the gift. Um, and he goes back to a very human illustration at the end of verse eight. He says, why don't you try giving that to your governor? Try just giving that to your buddy. See if they want that. Give it to your human leader. Do they want that offering? Are they going to be pleased with you? Will they accept you favorably? And those are the two key words about if, if the divine will respond positively. Accept and be pleased. Um, and he says even the human you know, leaders would just throw this out. They would just toss it. They would toss you out with it. They don't want anything to do uh, with this kind of Gift. And yet, what do you do? So offering a defiled sacrifice is evil, and it's offensive. It's wrong for them to do, and it's offensive to the one receiving it. Um, Then in verse 9, he says, not only do you just come and give it to me, you actually like play worship while you're doing this. You're going to ask me to respond favorably to you. You're going to say, accept our gift and give us gifts in return. Bless us as your people Entreat God's favor, that God would be gracious to us, that he would give us military victory, that he would bless our crops. All the while, that's what you gave to me? If the governor's not going to accept it favorably, will God accept it favorably? If the governor's not going to be pleased, will God be pleased? <coughs> In verse 10, it would be far better for you If one of you guys would be willing to shut this down, if one of you would be willing to go just lock the doors to the temple and nothing was offered at all, that would be better. Who is there among you who would shut the doors so that you don't kindle fire on my altar in vain? He's asking or saying that it would be better for someone to be courageous, zealous in favor of the law of God rather than to go along with the status quo of these supposedly true priests. So he states it explicitly middle of verse 10. You know, so the questions have been asked, will the governor be pleased with you? And now God says, I have no pleasure in you. There's the question of the governor would he accept you favorably, verse 8. Will God accept you favorably, verse 10? nor will I accept an offering from your hands. So the answer is no. God wants nothing to do with that, with this impure, defiled sacrifice. Why is that? Verse 11, one of the most beautiful verses in all of Malachi. Because from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, for the entirety of the day and every day, the name of Yahweh is to be great among the Gentiles. It's to be magnified, exalted, made to look as large as it is, as, as high and valuable as it is, in every place. So there's this Gentiles, every place, and then nations. So all over the world, in every place, incense or worship shall be offered to my name and a pure offering. For not my name shall be great among the nations. So in verse 11, what is it that makes the name of God visibly great to the nations. That's how often it happens, right? A pure offering. That's, what's, that's the visible demonstration to the nations that God truly is to be worshipped because these people are worshipping Him in purity. That's, that's significant kind of for our takeaway for, the, for application today. Um, Is there any question that God's name is great? No. He says, because it is great, it will be known. He's making a declarative statement of his intention. This is what he's going to do. And throughout all the prophets who've seen that, he's going to gather to himself a, a people from all over in order to make his name great. Um, We've even read from Zechariah on Sunday, you know, that there's going to be all these people who are going to grab the sleeve of a Jewish man and say, take me to Jerusalem because I need to know your God. Truly you have, or you know Yahweh. Um, so he's going to do this. And his name revolves very strongly around his reputation, how he is to be known. This is uh, in some way here, the, mm, the social presentation of God by, through his people. This is how he looks because of how his people act. that's the problem in verse 6. You despise my name. And they say, how have we despised your name? And he says, my name is great. My name will be great among the nations. But you, verse 12, profane it. So they're false or deluded or uh, tarnished sacrifices, the blind, the lame, the sick. That says our God is worth even less than a human governor because we wouldn't even give that a friend. You profane it in that you say, and here's how they approached the table of the Lord. these these two words again uh, to repeat the ideas, defiled and contemptible or uh, defiled and despised. So, the table of the Lord is desecrated. Its fruit, its food is okay to defame. It's not valuable enough to treat highly. It's just something we can treat commonly we'll do with it what we want we like some of it we keep it we don't like some we toss it we'll organize our own system you say oh what a weariness right all these rules 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 and it's just so particular and he wants everything just this exact way and what does it even matter i mean we just we were just in exile and they were doing this some of this before so uh they're just wearied by it wearied by rule following god so they sneer at it. They look down upon it. And you can see that sort of difference in perspective, that what they were supposed to do was honor and fear this upward look. And instead, they just look down and despise and spit upon it, treat it very commonly. Uh, again, a bit of a reiteration in 13. So you're bringing the stolen, the lame and the sick. Thus, you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand? Rhetorical question answered no. But verse 14, "'Cursed be the deceiver.'" So here's an example of a person bringing this in worship. "'Cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male,' or this who has in his flock a good offering.'" And he takes a vow. He says, I will give this. He makes a a covenant. I'm going to offer the sacrifice to God. And it was all in show. It was all for the people. It was all so that someone would hear him say it. And then what did he truly bring? A blemished sacrifice to the king of kings. We don't do this humanly. So how dare we do it divinely? I am a great king that's the reason he levels the curse against the deceiver, because God hates a lying tongue, because God God would rather, right, go shut the doors or don't make the vow rather than making the vow and not keeping it or opening the doors and offering um, fire in vain on the altar. Uh, So, end of verse 14 brings together a lot of these same ideas concerning God and his intention in worship. So, he is the supreme one. He is the great king, and his name, once again, is to be feared. Uh, The fear of the Lord is the intention, the intended result in the lives of his people. So, chapter 2, it's in the same discourse, but he does transition a little bit because he gives a command to the priests in verses 1 through 4. So, the command is for them to give glory to the name of God. So instead of despising and treating it as contemptible, or despising and defiling, instead, honor, reverence, give glory to his name. So now, priests, this commandment is for you. If you won't hear it, if you won't take it to heart, to give glory to my name, then I will curse you along with the deceptive worshiper. And I'll curse your blessings. In fact, it's already done because you are not. Of giving glory to my name. You don't take it to heart. It's even an intergenerational curse. So, the impact is not just on this particular generation, and I think the reason, uh, in large part, that it's not on the generation is because their misleading is not isolated to their generation. Uh, In verse… 8 of chapter 2, he says, you've caused many to stumble at the law. You've caused these little children, you caused the young ones to stumble over the law. So there's this intergenerational curse. He's rebuking their descendants and then quite strongly, you know, just shaming them, embarrassing them. In fact, why don't I take this sloppy sacrifice and rub it in your face? Why don't I give it back to you? Do you like it now? No, you don't like it. You're actually going to acknowledge what it was. It was refuse. It was, not a, it was an impure sacrifice. Then you will know, after this curse is leveled against them, then you will know that he sent this commandment to them. Then you will know that it was important. Then you will know that you should have been wearied by it and sneered at it. So, he gives this example. Um, what's, the, what's the basis for his call for them to give glory to his name? Well, these are the priests. So, the basis for his call is the Levitical covenant, the Levitical priesthood. And so, he looks back and he says, look, there have been, there have been different times in history that someone responded well, like that, that they had this responsibility and they upheld it. And now you have this responsibility and you shame it. So the covenant with Levi is the is the basis for God's instruction. And there's supposed to be there's this intended continuity between what was and what is. So that's verses 4 through 6. Then you'll know that I that I have sent this commandment to you that my commandment with Levi may continue. Uphold it. Uphold right worship. My covenant was with him. What was this what was this covenant like? What was it supposed to produce? Life. Peace. And he gave them the fear of God so that they would have the fear of God. They would possess it. So that is a brief and packed description of what was supposed to flow out of of the Levitical responsibilities. That as they interceded between the people and the Lord, as they were... Leading in this religious system, what was supposed to happen was flourishing, was joy, was satisfaction, was abundance. That's I mean, that's what God intended when He said, "Here's how I'd like you to live. And if you live in this way, you'll be blessed." So, the, I mean, the blessing is what's supposed to flow out of the of the Levitical leadership, life and peace. And he even says He gave them. The fear of God, so the fear of God plays two roles here. It's a gift and an obligation. He gives the fear of God that they would fear God. Not completely unlike faith would be this gift and an expression. He gives us faith and we express faith. And so, there were two different responses that are described in this text. How did Levi respond? Well, Levi did well. He feared God and was reverent before what? Before the name of God, or in relationship to the reputation of God. He revered it. He upheld it. He looked toward it. He honored it. There's a description of Levi. This is beautiful, and a a good um, sort of a description of what a a wise leader should be. He says, the law of truth was in his mouth, and injustice was not found on his lips. So, two things coming out of Levi's mouth. One of them was one that he inherited. That's the law of truth. That's what he was supposed to say. The law of Amet is that he spoke it. And so there it was in his mouth. And you know what's incompatible with the law of God, with truth, with fidelity, would be cursing, would be injustice. So he says he did well and he, he wasn't dualistic in what was coming out of his mouth, the James picture, you know, blessing and cursing flowing from the same well. So he said, no, he was, it was true, And then, not only what was in his mouth, but what was in his practice. He walked with me in peace and in equity and the result was that his leadership steered people away from sin. It steered people away from iniquity. They didn't have a desire for that. Look, they saw the life of flourishing. They saw the good life, the proverbial life lived out before them that flows from the Torah. So, Levi did well, he's saying, he, uh, and the implications are that the people responded to it well, turned people away from iniquity. And verse 7 is like, you know, that's exactly what should have happened because that's the responsibility God gave to the priest. He says, the lips of a priest, lips, remember his mouth and his lips, the lips of a priest should keep knowledge. He's given to Levi the safeguard of truth. He said, this is my law. It's my word. I'm giving it to you to teach, to uphold. So they're sort of the uh, sentinels here of that which is true. And because it was written uh, for the priests and they upheld it, they kept it, then people looked to them for leadership. People looked to them. They sought the law from out of their mouths. There was an impact when the priests spoke which is why, you see, here would be the neutral, like, okay, teach us, and they listened. Now, if, according to Levi, the law of truth was in his mouth, then it turned the people away from iniquity as they listened to and received what came out of the priest's mouth. But the equal opposite is true too. Um, We'll see that in verse 8 the end of verse 7, says, okay, so why is the the role of the priest significant? Why should the lips of a priest keep knowledge? Why should people seek the law that comes from their their mouth? Well, that's the end of verse 7, because the words aren't theirs. They've been given to keep God's words. So, by extension, when the priest was speaking, God was speaking. When the prophet was speaking... God was speaking because they both are simply passing on a message. They're simply passing on the tradition. That's part of why their role was so significant and, and so impactful and why God was very uh, upset when they misled and when they held injustice instead of the law of truth. Okay? Uh, then verses 8 and 9, the last two verses here, um, this is the other response. So rather than verse 5, so he feared me, verse 8, but you have departed from the way, and the result has been that you have caused many to stumble at the law, and you have brought corruption into the covenant of Levi. God's response and the, the correction, the consequence is, therefore, I also have made you despicable. Despicable. It's that same word that he accused them of doing to him. He says, you have defamed my character. I will defame your name. You made, caused me to look this way. I will cause you to look that way. I'm going to make you low. This kind of goes back to verse three. Spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your solemn feasts. I'll give you in return the good gift that you gave to me. And he's going to do it before all the people for their leadership is before all the people because you have not kept my ways and have shown partiality in the law. So that's, again, the equal opposite of 6a and b. So that's, uh, that's the problem. That's the second discourse is that God's accusing them of dishonoring his name. So what I'd like to do for a few minutes is just have some application discussion. So as we move through t- uh, time here, a couple of things that we, w- we want to keep in mind um, as far as worship, as far as giving a pure offering. So we would know as we move through redemptive history that the, that the only pure offering, it's not something that we have to give. The, correct, the, the movement is not for us to be like, okay, so let's do what Israel never did because we we'd just be revealed that we couldn't. So we would go to Hebrews and we'd say, Jesus is the pure offering. And therein, there's life. So the, the life and peace uh, and fear of God, those are, all, those are all present in this perfect sacrifice. So it's, we're not one-to-one that way. However, I think Paul in Colossians would make the argument, and because you're in Christ, now you have the responsibility to live out his virtues and to live in a way that's consistent with him. So we should live consistently with the pure sacrifice. Um, so, two questions. One of the, Let's go broad first and then maybe more narrow. So, the question would be, what defiled offerings then are made in churches today? So, first, maybe let's think broadly. Not us, right? Them, those churches. What do they do that is so defiling, right? That may be places that call themselves churches, but certainly things that we would never do. What are some of those things today? Corrupt that book it and ignore, shouldn't ignore. okay I've seen that okay, so maybe we'll just that that's a that's a big category and certainly a condemning one so we'll just say poor preaching, poor teaching, not honoring what the word says maybe um the authorial intent matters not. I found this in my readings this week and I was warmed by it. Or I read it and I think it means uh, this and that. Or maybe a, a, a sermon that has as its primary goal uh, self-help and therapy or a the, the couple steps to this or that. Just all that sort of thing. There's a, there's a huge spectrum there. But the mess that is not honoring that this is the, what God has said. And so we will sit and listen to what He has said. That's a really good, that's a broad category, but a good one. Poor teaching. Yeah. So I'm trying to add something to Okay. Uh, so a, um, uh, a deficient gospel. And there would be probably a thousand categories of that. But yeah, something that we, we must do this, maybe a legalism. In sense, this is uh, Reformation Month coming up. Yep. Yeah, additions. The addition of the sacrifice of Christ time and time again in the, mm-hmm. uh, in the sacraments, you know, those sort of things. That is what he said that are kind of Yeah, the money element, purchasing it, yeah. buying indulgences. Yeah, people, they are very much like the priests of the Old Testament, sort of making their purses bigger at the expense of fear. Sacrifice. Pure understanding of the gospel. Okay, Christ, yeah. And faith alone in Christ. But it was the goal, was not just to finally get to heaven, the right way. Mm-hmm. It was to reform the worship of the church. Yep. Okay, so um, supplementing, meaning supplanting the gospel. Other categories? Things that are going on in those assemblies? Okay, Those things are very present in this text, certainly. Flippancy towards sin, so some examples of that. This is an easy time to just take some shots, right? Uh, Flippancy towards sin, I think uh, churches that celebrate pride, an LGBTQ, a pro-LGBTQ perspective, that's certainly the celebration of sin. That would be... Uh, someone who takes a vow to offer something honorably but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. I think you probably could uh, take some shots at some music too. There's a lot of that which is celebrated whether it's because of particular groups. um, We would sing their music, that type of thing because of groups that would um, do many things that dishonor God. Um, or perhaps just an irreverence, an irreverent style or self-oriented worship session or uh, something that is primarily emotive above intellectual, something that just moves you in a way um, physically rather than spiritually. Okay, it could be a fair bit there. A lot of things, okay? Yeah. Hiding sin, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so to in a genuine and true way, I think, like pat ourselves on the back. Okay, that's not what we're gonna do here. That's not our practice. That's uh, we 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 seek to have basically the opposite of all those things stated. Uh, We do want to elevate the Word. That's why we do what we do on Sunday. That's why a sermon, uh, not just a sermon, but a uh, service is built the way it's built. It's built around theology, built around an idea that we want to communicate and resonate and land. We want music to be that which is rich, doctrinal, true, first, and then the execution of it can be secondary rather than the other way around. Um, We want to be doxological, God-oriented, like sort of all the the sufficiency of the gospel, the sufficiency of scripture. So the solas we were just talking about, like we want to preach and elevate and teach that. Now, whether we're executing it perfectly or not is not the point. Of course, we're not executing it perfectly, but I mean, whether we're doing it fully, um, probably not in some ways, but that's the mission. Like that's the stated goal. And that's the reason that people covenant in this family is because of that stated goal. So, I do think it's a different category. However, probably a good question for us to be introspective and search our own hearts. In what way might we offer defiled offerings? What way might our church family struggle with some of the things that God is talking about in chapters 1 and 2? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So this uh, absent mindedness, uh, flippancy Carelessness, oh, oh, what a weariness! <laughs> uh, that sort of mentality I think is absolutely good. We, we, this, is a, this is time for us to work and to be engaged and to think and to you know like if, if there's an hour in the week that we're checked in, it's got to be this hour to where we are, absolutely reasoning, wrestling, hearing. Applying, being introspective, a lot of those things. So, yeah, attentiveness um, to what God has said. Good? I agree with what Eric said, but at the same time, it's really difficult for us to want to take. Mm hmm. Yeah, so is the deceptive nature of the flesh uh, reason? That, and I know you're not saying this, but is it reason, though, to say, okay, well, then I just won't be aware. No. Right. So we still, like, the fact that we might not get it all the time or we might be deceived or we might, like, that, that's only all the more reason to be aware. Right. All the more reason to be watchful and prayerful. yeah well, let him who stands take heed lest he fall so, yeah or when um, oh oh basically, when you're seeking to do good, evil's present with you, right um, so yeah, I think that's more of an argument it it only strengthens the argument of awareness rather than like well it's we're not going to be able to do it anyways, uh yeah i th- Mm-hmm. You're right. You're right that it is something to examine. I do, I do think that we could say that, that we would be permitted to say that um, maybe analyzing some of the health of a church or that um, the things that we're doing are pleasing to God. Like, I wouldn't have a problem looking back on Sunday saying that the worship of our church family ascended to God in a way that he was pleased with and accepted. Now, is there sin in the camp? Probably. Um, are we blind to that? Mm, hope, maybe some of it, but hopefully not. Like, we want to have an awareness. But, but I think we are permitted to say, like, you know, that when we read God's Word and when we preach God's Word and when we sing things that are true, when we've been careful, we have been aware, that we're not like, well, I don't know, I hope so. We'll see, you know? He's pleased, I believe. Other thoughts, though. Other so um, some a lack of awareness, some carelessness. What else? How else might we practice? Did you raise your hand? No. Okay. Yeah, Matt. Sure. Yep. So, in overall, on the whole, on the day, right? Yeah. something better. Yep. And they had it to offer. That's just part of the equation here. Yeah. Because it was this again. It's this again. Yeah. I'm building a new covenant. Yep. Yep. These are the people in Christ, and what cursed the old covenant community is not going to happen again, sort of that in that first church, like that mm-hmm. not today, mm-hmm. and we're not going to let that happen again. Yep. That now, that's alluded to that, you know, others among you are sick and sleep, uh, fallen asleep. Filed and, filed and despised yeah it's probably an important um, just the movement too of you know the temple being the people you know and that that's happening in the in the temple um, it, yeah yeah that's a good that's a good uh, New Testament example. Um any other thoughts? Yeah, Brendan. At the, uh, at the risk of pointing a finger, <laughs> this, uh, uh, this this passage is dealing with the, the priests? Specific. Mm-hmm. Yeah, would have been better to shut it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To be the keeper of the law. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and as we see, there's different ways that's been done well and very poorly, both in redemptive history, covenant history. Yeah, Garrett. hmm when he said, remember my chains. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, just a self-orientation. Okay. I think uh, in, a, in a word, another maybe category would be hypocrisy, and that's um, that one thing would be said and another would be done, or that we would present ourselves or pose ourselves one way, posture in this way, and then the truth is something far different. Um, again, James, the, the tongues, the fountain, our mouth that that both blesses and then curses, Um, whether that's the contrast between outside, like the Pharisees, right, this beautiful sepulcher, and then inside it's dark, or the um, Sunday compared to Monday through Saturday, like a, a life on one day of the week compared to a life throughout the rest of the day of the week. I think probably the first would be more of a temptation for our church family than the second, but... It's interesting. I mean, there I, this is not that important, but there was one time in college I was on Thanksgiving break and went and visited a friend's house and their whole house, like, was, (laughs) it was hell on earth throughout the whole week. It was crazy. They were (coughs) cursing at each other, screaming, yelling, shouting just, like, all week. And then I was shocked that we went to church, but we all went to church and everyone dressed up and was, like, singing the songs, happy, went home, and then it, like, started up again. I was, like, like, no way. But that measure of inconsistency, hypocrisy, like they were there. It was nice, plastic, but it wasn't true. It wasn't real. So the, um, the idea of sincerity, that what we do, what we say, that we could sing. And sometimes that may even be a prayer, that we could sing what we're singing uh, genuinely, honestly, truly, that that would be our heart's desire. This, this request for God to continue changing us into the image of Christ as He's promised to do. Uh, that we would be in the, the, just the, have grown to continue to love and uh, just the word shalom, right? Not just meaning peace, but that it's whole and uncut. And it, has, it, it actually is real. Like this is the whole thing. You're seeing the whole thing uh, when we sing in Christ alone. Like, that's true and real, not just us forcing it or trying or pretending. It's what we mean. Um, So, yeah, hypocrisy, I think, paired with that would be the temptation to have hidden, treasured sin in our midst, kind of what Achan did, Uh, you know, this habitual practice, I guess, of enjoying that which offends God, uh, that we in our private lives have these secret affairs. Um, That's not... I mean, that, that, that's a demonstration of chapters 1 and 2 here, um, saying one thing and doing another. So um, in all of this, I think it's good for us then to reflect maybe more narrowly on our own church family and how we could uh, seek to reflect Christ more truly. And why does that matter? Because of the name of God. It matters because of who He is. It matters because everything that we do, every word and deed is an act of worship. It is a gift to Him. And would we give even president so-and-so, governor so-and-so, those sorts of gifts? Uh, If we wouldn't, we certainly shouldn't give it to the king. So uh, the fact of who he is and then his reputation among the people, that we are ambassadors, the visible representation of God on earth, like we are his people. So that which we say, that which we do reflects upon him, and that's significant. So uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, you know that we would present our bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, because that's what's reasonable. That's the proper response to redemption. Um, and in response, what do we have? God's pleasure. God accepting the worship. God being pleased. It's a pleasant aroma, something he loves to see is that when his people do uh, walk in the, fear, in, in the fear of him. So that would be why it matters, is because of his, of his character and his reputation and his favor. So a helpful encouragement to us from uh, this second discourse in Malachi. Uh, I believe we'll continue on the third one and following uh, next week. Let's go ahead and close in prayer.